being carried away can be done by force, like a child picked up by his parents, or like an officer taking someone to jail. But being carried away can also be done as one who willingly submits to go off with someone in the moment. Something done together, maybe like a movie, when you are carried away by the emotion and the plot. If you are in Christ, being forcefully carried away to do wrong or evil doesn't happen. <coughs> Why? Even if someone puts me in the situation, I can, you can continue to choose God's ways and resist. So more realistically, being carried away, as Second Peter talks about, for a Christian deals with a choice on our part to be swept up, to be seduced, to voluntarily yield or be willingly led away. And the lesson is called, Don't be carried away in error. The three points are twist, error, grow in grace. So first, twist. Sometimes uh, twisting can be helpful. Like if you're doing laundry and you got excess water in the clothes and you twist it and wring it out. You might twist dough as part of a preparation process in in making bread. You might twist your hair for a decoration to put it up. But when somebody or someone intentionally twists your words or other people's words, it is not helpful, nor is it appreciated. And when it comes to God's truth, it can bring doubt to the truth and even doubt concerning a truthful person. Peter says even the apostles Paul's words have been twisted. No, not by everyone. Remember, 2 Peter and Jude are dealing with false prophets and false teachers. Listen to Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 14 through 16. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be founded by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. The word twist comes from the Greek and it means to twist or torture. That's the heavy concept that this word has. That is, to put someone on a rack, uh, you might torture them, right, in the medieval times. Metaphorically, it means to pervert as one who tortures language in a false sense. 
English has its grammar, English has its syntax, English has its ways, there's a paradigm, there's a work. So I'm going to torture the words to make it mean something else. That's the idea of twisting here. It's the idea of torture. You're torturing language to pervert it. How do you deal with these people who pervert the teachings of the gospel of Christ? Well, if you're dealing with people intent on twisting words and teaching falsehoods, as Peter, the apostles and teachers of faith, dealt with on a continual basis, hopefully they can be corrected by bringing falsehood to their attention. This would be great. In fact, it might even make a long-term friend, a godly friend from declaring this falsehood with somebody who's trying to be honest. But those who persist for their own gain, you begin to warn others with God's word, not with gossip, but with God's word, warn others. Warning's aim has to do with saving people's souls. Jude, verses 17 through 23. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by their flesh. The second point is error. If you've ever worked with a computer program like Excel or something like that, and you type in an incorrect formula, immediately the system goes, boing, error message, right? Error message. You typed in something wrong. The fact is, Error messages are not a bad thing. If you correct the error and follow the proper program design. This is one reason I personally enjoy Bible studies. If I am in error, I can take the opportunity to fix my misunderstanding. Grow. Learn something. I can study and grow. This is appropriate for any Christian. For we all don't know it just like that off the top of our heads. And if someone else is in error, I can help teach God's correct way. Or, in certain cases, defend the truth as it needs to be. But not everyone is interested in fixing errors. You wouldn't make a good computer programmer if you were of that personality, for sure. Because it's not going to work. As the apostles and Peter specifically speak of, some are interested in promoting tortured and twisted words of truth. 
2 Peter 3, 17. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Where does error come from? Well, in the context of 2 Peter, it comes from lawless people. You mean people who are criminals and lawbreakers of our national laws or who go before the judge and are put in jail. Those who have gone to jail or prison or those who receive a lot of violation fines. No, we're not talking about those people. The fact is, it can be even someone who has never ever got a speeding ticket. We're not talking about national laws. The lawless people referred to by the Apostle Peter are those who break through the restraint of God's law. God's law does restrain, does it not? These people are pushing through what God wants. God's teaching of truth. God's expectations for the followers of Christ for the purpose of gratifying their own lusts. Whatever that is, of course, this lust can be in the form of sexual nature. That's spoken about clearly in Scripture. Or even authoritative teaching on who Christ is. Again, that's another thing brought up. Or even about the day of the Lord and, and when that will be. Or as well as the idea of God's patience in dealing with lost people. 2 Peter 3, 1-13. Peter says this, and this can refer to any teaching of truth, truly. It is called the sin of omission. I omit something. 2 Peter 3, 5. Part of it says this. Listen carefully. For they, not talking about those searching for the truth, but referring most likely to the lawless people, for they deliberately overlook this fact. They're not looking at the whole message. They're looking at what they want you to see or what they want to believe. That's the challenge of scriptural study. Sometimes you go in there finding your proof text of why you believe something to realize as you dig into these words and thoughts and context that, ooh, <laughs> I was mistaken. But the honest person does what? Admits it and corrects himself. The lawless person says, oh, how am I going to twist this? To my benefit? How am I going to torture the words of God to get what I want? They deliberately overlook all of God's truth and matters to justify their teaching. This can lead to loss of stability. Sadly, following these lawless peoples can affect our standing with God. Chapter 3, verse 17 of 2 Peter. 
You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. We don't want to lose our stability. To lose means to fall, and it can also mean to perish. When I first learned to ride a bike, as I'm sure everybody here has done, you might recall those events when you were real little. I remember falling off a few times, biffing it, scraping my knee or my head or my elbow. The first time I was learning, my dad would hold on to my bike while I learned to pedal. But when my dad let go and I realized I couldn't steer or stop, down I went. Why? Because I lost my stability. My dad was not there holding the bike anymore and I didn't know how to balance. Stability means losing my firm condition or instability, I should say. Maybe it means to lose trust in Jesus. Well, that's definitely foundational, is it not? How many people have lost trust in Jesus when things aren't going their way, the way they think it should? Or learn to trust in my own works? Well, that's putting Jesus off to the side, isn't it? Perhaps it means to lose my trust in God's authority. His design of church, or even his design for mankind itself. Or perhaps his plan of salvation for all people. Where is stability found as a Christian? By willingly being carried away. See, it goes back to the willing part. Carried away is something to allow yourself to be, have done by lawless people, those who twist and torture the Word of God, by willingly being carried away by spiritual seduction. You're carried away because you like it. You want it. Seduction of lawless people. I am putting myself on sandy foundation rather than the rocky and stable foundation of Christ as, as a wise man would. You remember the story, right? Matthew 7, 21 through 24 through 27. The wise and the foolish man building your house upon the sand or the rock. Those who obey, who listen and obey, as opposed to those who listen and don't obey and follow lawless teachers. But we should grow in grace. And if we say grow in grace or by the grace of God... What are we talking about? We're talking about his favor. Yes, that can mean uh, having our sins taken away of, but his grace is even much more than that. Let me explain. We're talking about his favor, his kindness, or even his forgiveness. All the favor and blessings that come from being connected to God. In fact, if God didn't offer his process of design in the natural realm, earth, water, fertilizer, and all that goes into the physicality of our planet Earth, could you grow anything? If God didn't make it that way, 
Could you grow anything? No. Could nature grow in his grace? Not at all. Unless he favors it. So, can we grow spiritually if we separate ourselves from God's favor? God's grace. Can we really grow if we're disconnected from the process of Christian growth? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and the day of eternity. To the day of eternity. Amen. Can we grow in grace and knowledge if I'm being led away? By the teachings of lawless men? By twisted, tortured seduction and error in truth? Be careful what you put your trust in. For the teachings of men can be very twisted. To use the walnut analogy. I used to have walnuts. I might have a hard shell on the outside. Anybody here ever picked walnuts? And All right. You ever picked a walnut that uh, was hollow inside or rotten? Could you tell from the outside? Maybe not. I might have a hard shell on the outside of what it looks like to follow God. I'm a good walnut. I open the shell and see the rotten and bug-ridden walnut or just an empty shell because I've been carried away by error. And my growth process in Christ has been hindered or separated. How are you going to grow that walnut properly? This is not what God wants for anyone. Thankfully, He is patient. He wants all to repent and be saved according to the first part of chapter 3 of 2 Peter. <coughs> Verses 8 through 10 speak like this. But do not overlook the one fact, beloved, with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done in them will be exposed. What happens when you expose anything to space? Try growing a plant on dirt that's been exposed to space. I don't think it could happen. I don't know. But what is growing in grace? Of course, we attribute the grace of God with his forgiveness I brought up earlier. And that is grace. And this is an act of his grace through Jesus Christ. But do we grow in forgiveness? Meaning, do I need to earn more forgiveness? 
Well, there's no earning in receiving God's forgiveness when I was baptized in the Christ for the forgiveness of my sins in the first place. How can I earn more forgiveness later? There was an obedient faith to follow God's will. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Beautiful foundational passage. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal from, of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is given. For example, if I died in an accident and didn't repent of the last sin or sins that I did, am I going to hell? Well, in one respect, that is so limited in thought because being a Christian in good standing with God is a lifestyle to follow. It's a lifestyle. Not a matter of sinlessness, but a decision to have an obedient faith in Christ. Even when I mess up. Even though I do need to repent periodically. Sometimes I'm not aware that I need to repent because I don't think I've done wrong. You've been there? What if that was the situation before you died? I don't know if I... I didn't know I needed to repent, but I have a lifestyle in Christ. The forgiveness I'm receiving is a gift. His favor, His grace. It's not based on me earning it. Now, truly, I want to go recognizing what I've done before Him and seeking repentance, forgiveness. But I've got it if I'm in good standing with Christ. If I haven't been swept away by the teachings of lawless people who twist and torture the Word of God to their own pleasure. Are you growing in grace? As you recall in 2 Peter 1-5, through 5, Peter makes this point concerning our faith. First, he reminds that we've escaped the corruption of the world. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. So make every effort to add to your faith supplements. If you've ever been sick or a doctor told you to take those supplements, well, God is saying, or Peter is saying, hey, I'm not telling you you're sick, but you need supplements. <laughs> Take your supplements. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowledge, that's that. Almost one of the very last words in the whole book. Grace and knowledge growing. And knowledge is one of the supplements of our faith. Hmm. Does this connect with what was said at the end of Second Peter? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Second Peter 3.18 Like a natural plant that can't help growing when natural environment is good and proper... 
to grow, to augment your growth, to flourish as a Christian, we must be connected to God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we continue to do this by supplements of faith. Not by listening and being carried away willingly by lawless teachers who twist and torture the Word of God to what it never meant to begin with. We're enticed because we want to be enticed. Growing in grace or God's favor and knowledge, knowledge of false teaching? No, of the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who wants to tell me where a lot of that knowledge comes from? Where do we get this favor? This grace? The lesson is, don't be carried away in error. I mean, if Peter didn't say it, Paul didn't say it, the other apostles didn't say it, it wouldn't be anything we'd have to worry about, would it? Twist. Twisting God's truth will only lead to error. Error. Following error will cause our loss of stability. Grow in grace. But if we grow in grace, it is because we are growing in the knowledge, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 